Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. I wish that I could fly. The charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from the Triple Creek Ranch in right outside of Darby, Montana. My next guest, by the way, we've we've had on the show the most traveled person in the world uh, by his own estimation and then by other people's estimation of going to the most countries, places, uh, protectorates, uh, you know, colonies in the world. My next guest has a different claim to fame. He's the first person to hike all 733, excuse me, 734, yeah, but who's counting, miles of trails in Glacier National Park in one year. His name is Jake Bramante. Hey, Jake, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I saw the look you gave me when I said 733. (laughs) I was almost. I was just seeing if you're paying attention. Every mile counts. It does. Now, you did that in one year. Yeah. And the reason? Nobody had ever done it before. That's a good reason. Yeah. Because I'm, it's there. It's because it's there. I think that's why a lot of people do stuff like that. And and you started doing this, it took you, what, about 90 days? Yeah, I was on the trail 89 days officially, but and that but that was over a period of um, about five months. Right. 
But that's in one year, and that's about what twelve hundred miles. Right. Mm-hmm. That's all walking, climbing. Yep. Yep. Occasionally falling down. Um, I fell down a couple of times actually. Yeah. Which was sometimes there. It's a little bit scary. You realize how fragile a chip like, trip like that could be. Well, you know, here we are in Montana. People know about Yellowstone. They know about Yosemite. They know about the you know the big name iconic parks. Not that many people know that much about Glacier. Yeah, it's it's this little gem tucked up in northwestern Montana, and there it's it's really it, not only is it a, a hiking paradise, um, it's it's a great drive. The going to the Sun Road goes up into the Alpine, which is my favorite part of of Glacier. And so, how you, high up are you going? Um, oh shoot, it's about it's almost seven thousand feet, I think, at the pass. I mean, so, just in a car, and you're, and you're feeling it. Um, well, I don't, but that's because I live around here. Oh. <laughs> Show off, yeah, yeah. But the point is, people would. I mean, you got absolutely, get used to it. yeah. I mean, I have people emailing me all the time um, from visiting my website, and they're, you know, they're coming from Florida or whatever, and so they're. And the website has just the most unusual name. Yeah, it's hike734.com, and but yeah, I, I basically um, I brought along my camera, and so I blogged a lot about about the park, so you can go in and, and see kind of what what each trail is going to look like before you you hit it, and so a lot of people come out to. Um, to the park, and before they do, they'll they'll email me questions and stuff, and so I have to keep in keep an account that they're coming from sea level or a thousand feet or something. Which which proves the point that you know be clear with yourself first about what your own level of ability is. Right. Otherwise, you're gonna get you know you could be disappointed in more than one way. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely uh, um, yeah yeah keeping an keep an account how far you can go, and, and sometimes people try and bite off way more than they can chew. But the bottom line is, go to your website. You do. Are you doing the guides too? I mean, you, you you're doing them. Yeah, I, I have a physical guide as well. Um, and so if and that that's basically it's a map on one side and a, a guide on the other. And basically, just do what you can do in one day, which maybe just maybe eight miles to start. Just or less. It depends. Total. I'm repeating. We're not in Kansas anymore. participate in the program and speak with Peter Greenberg, call 1-888-887-3837 or visit petergreenberg.com. Now back to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. 52 minutes after the hour, Peter Greenberg here with you from the Triple Creek Ranch in Darby, Montana, taking your calls at 888-887-3837. That's 888-88-PETER. And if you do that, either you get on the phone with me or you can email me for your email so I can answer your questions right here on the air. Let's do one right now. This is from Malin O'Donnell. Peter, I recently cruised on the Royal Princess on Princess Cruise Lines, and I left the ship with bed bugs. Ooh. I, it was obvious, and I took pictures to prove it. I brought this to their attention the day of departure after I saw the bed bugs for the second time. I didn't realize it was bed bugs until I actually realized what they looked like. Princess is not taking this as seriously as I am. They've offered me a $500 credit towards another cruise, and I want a full refund. I don't plan on traveling on Princess again. I don't like the way they've handled this. Should I bring it to their attention yet again or take their lame offer and like it? Well, it all gets down to this, Len. I'm not an attorney. I don't play one on television. But what were your damages? And that's the key. 
you discovered them on the day of departure, or didn't you? You just said you just brought it to their attention the day you were leaving. So the rest of the crews must have been okay. I'm taking their side from a from a devil's advocate perspective here, because that will happen if you if you want to go further on this. Uh, now about the $500 credit. Every cruise line tries to do the same thing. They want to give you a discount on your next abusive experience, and that's not really the way to go. If they were smart, they'd send you a check. But nobody wants to part with money, of course. The airlines do the same thing when they give you vouchers as opposed to actual cash if they bump you from the flight. Here's the situation. I wasn't there. I haven't heard Princess's response. I'm just reading your letter on the air. But the bottom line here that you're going to have to address, and only you can do this, and by the way, you'll be forced to do this if you go further, what were your real damages? And if you can prove real damages, then I wouldn't take their offer. But if you can't, then see if you can get them to give you a, a, a cash for 500 bucks. since you've just said to me in this email that you have no intention on ever, of ever cruising with them again. Hope that's been helpful. Let me know what happens, okay? Uh, my next guest loves... You heard me. Loves Darby, Montana. In fact, wrote all about it. Contributing writer for for Travel and Leisure and many other magazines and newspapers. Joins us now on the phone, Sterling Kelso. Hey, Sterling. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. So are you jealous that I'm in Montana and you're not? I'm very, very jealous. How's the weather up there now? The weather is absolutely gorgeous. The air is crisp. It's it's the kind of crisp air that I look at and go, every time I breathe this, I'm ready to take my nap. And that's that that's exactly how I describe a great location. Oh, good. Well, I'm um, I'm down in Austin, Texas, and we are already hitting summer, so I'm very jealous. <laughs> so what about it? I mean, I know what I like about Darby, and of course we're 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 coming in from the Triple Creek Ranch. What do you like about it? I- well, I have to say, you know, at the Triple Creek Ranch, first of all, you you just can't go wrong. I'm I'm so jealous of your time there. Um, it's such a beautiful location. Um, I'm assuming you're all uh, cozied up in one of those plush log cabins, um, and and it's just it's a fantastic property. But um, well, you, you know, know but you know what you just but Sterling, you know what you just said. You said you said two words together. Plush and log cabin, and that really does define Triple Creek. I mean, it's not just most people think log cabin; they think you're cooking baked beans with Abraham Lincoln. No, this is plush log cabins. It's 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 definitely luxe. I know it certainly is. Yes, no, I can I can envision you know the fireplaces there. You've got the hot tubs, um, the original art. I I am very jealous, and of course the food. It's incredible. And and last I checked, it was still adults only. Is that still the case? Yes, it is. And, and, well, and, and, and adults who don't act like children either. <laughs> that's, that's nice. Well, I, I always feel like you can't go wrong. There's, there's always a time and place for an adults-only property. So, um, Right. Well, by, um, by the way, an adults-only <laughs> property does not mean clothing optional. I just thought I'd mention that. No. No, only only in the plush cabin. Um, by the way, but you know what? I, I have to tell you something. It's true. I have witnesses to this. When you leave the ranch and you go into Darby, you can get a hat made. Last time I was here, I had yes. a hat made at at eight at Double H, right? Which is the, the, he's legendary. Uh, yes. But today, do you know what I did? I actually went what? into Darby, into the antique store. There are people in who are actually looking at me right now, laughing. But I did this. I actually went to an antique store and found the most, the coolest old shovel. I bought a shovel, and 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 I'm sending it. I'm sending it back home. It's it's a piece of art. It's it's the best. That's fantastic, but that sounds like the kind of souvenir that I pick up. I just got back from Mexico with a birdcage, so how are you getting it home? Oh, have you heard of FedEx? <laughs> and is there a FedEx store in Darby? I guess the Triple Creek Ranch will take care of that for you. Yes, it's a very plush FedEx store. 
It's a log cabin <laughs> FedEx. No, it's not. It's not. No, but you know what? They Look, they figured out how to make it work on 2,600 acres right there on the ranch. And the good thing is, whatever you want, you get. Now, you can get very spoiled that way. To me, I don't have to have a plush log cabin just to open up the door and listen to the river running by the cabin. That's all I need. I hear the river running by the cabin. I'm done. It's, it's, I don't need any more. You know, it doesn't yes. have to be gourmet. It doesn't have to be upscale. It doesn't have to be luxe. The pillows don't have to be, the, you know, the thread count doesn't have to be 900. But the bottom line, Sterling, is they do it right there. They certainly do, and it is a beautiful location. Um, well, when I was at that Old West Gallery, I unfortunately missed the shovel. Three, two. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel. The Peter Greenberg Worldwide phone lines are open now. So call us at 1-888-887-3837. That's 1-888-88-PETER. Once again, here's your host, Peter Greenberg. 33 minutes after the hour, Peter Greenberg here with you from the Triple Creek Ranch in Darby, Montana, taking your calls at 888-887-3837. That's 888-88-PETER. And if you can't get through on the phones, you know the drill. You email me to peter at petergreenberg.com with your name, phone number, question or problem. We will solve it right here on the air. My next guest is truly a Renaissance woman. She was trained as an astronaut, was the backup spaceflight participant for the Soyuz flight to the International Space Station. She was ambassador to Finland. But she has something else on her resume that has me in total jealousy because when people ask me what I want to do that I haven't done, I only tell them one thing and they think I'm nuts, but she did it. What I want to do is what she did. She I was actually was the first civilian woman to land in an F-A-18 Hornet on an aircraft carrier. I mean, my goal in life... Barbara Barrett is to do a night carrier landing, and you trumped me, so I think this interview is over right now. <laughs> <laughs> a night carrier landing and live through it is probably your aspiration. Oh, I'm telling you. You can't put me on a roller coaster. I, will, I won't go on <laughs> one, but if somebody said to me, night carrier landing, I'm in. And, and I, I, I now, I mean, you're my idol. That's it. Oh, by the way, I forgot the last part of your resume. You're the co-owner of the Triple Creek Ranch. How about that? That's one of the most fun things of all time. So tell me a little bit about the history of that, because you were first, what, guests at the ranch, and you, you just fell in love with it? We were guests at the ranch. We first went to the ranch as guests. I had never been to Montana. It was the only state I had not visited. And we were told about this wonderful place that our friends had gone, and we pretty much we went because our friends were so insistent that we go. So we finally went mostly to quiet them. And when we went, we so enjoyed it. We went back again and again, and then it was for sale, and we bought it. And, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, there, there, there are a lot of people out there who have trophy properties, if you will. But you're really hands-on. Between you and your husband, I mean, I see your touches throughout that resort that other hotel owners would never even think about. Um, you know, you're not really an absentee landlord. Well, no, we are. We're there. We have owned it for over 20 years, 
And once a month for 20 years, we have been there. We are there at least once a month, every month for 20 years. So basically, the, the employees can't get rid of you. <laughs> we are, we're nearly underfoot. Well, you know, I, I go back to the, uh, to the John Cleese series of, you know, Faulty Towers. Here you are, you know, buying this resort. Uh, I'm going to presume you did not have resort experience. So what was the biggest surprise to you once you got the keys to the, to the castle? The biggest surprise, well, I think the biggest surprise is probably that it was way more fun than we ever dreamed possible. We have wonderful staff, and I think that the staff make it fun, entertaining, and just a delight. So great food, great wines, great uh, location, and great people whose entire drive is to have each guest have a lifetime experience, whether it's just relaxing or seeing the flora, the fauna, the wildlife, the mountains, the environment, or panning for sapphires and coming up with a dream sapphire. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because well, I go back 25, 30 years ago in Montana, and having a resort of this quality was almost unimaginable simply because of the logistics involved, where you're located. How do you source everything? How do you bring it in? Uh, that had to be a challenge. It has been a challenge over time, but we've figured out great things. We've had wonderful um, experience and well, people. We we love to buy locally, so we there are now farmers markets and and local provisioning that didn't exist before. So there is a growth around the community of of um, both provisioning for meats as well as for vegetables and fruit. And um, so we we do what we can locally, but we selectively and carefully bring in finest of. Um, seafoods from distant points in order to have the very best of those things as well. So we have game, we have um, game food, game uh, meats, as well as seafoods from everywhere, but most of what we have is as fresh and new as it can be in that climate. Now, you mentioned game meat. I'm presuming that this is also a brave new world for you when you first showed up. So... What's your favorite game meat and why? How about that? A question you I don't think you've been asked right away. You're right. I haven't been asked that before, but I'm, I'm a, I was a farm kid. I grew up around Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Our next guest has a pretty good, interesting credentials about him. He's a contributing editor for a magazine I actually grew up with, although I've never gone hunting and I couldn't fly fish to save my life. He's the contributing editor for Field and Stream. Hal Herring, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Peter. How are you? I'm doing just fine, and I really mean that. I used to go out and get that magazine every week to see how you could catch a bass and and learned all sorts of stuff about it, but I'm one of those guys who if I go fishing, I'm an East Coaster, okay? So if I go fishing, if I catch the fish, it's dinner. You know. We, we do quite a bit of that ourselves. <laughs> oh, good. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> well, let's well, let's talk about some of the changing nature in the state of Montana. One of the things that, you know, that concerns you, of course, is it comes under the umbrella of wildlife politics, doesn't it? It does. Uh, that, that's an unfortunate uh, necessity for calling it that, but sure. 
I mean, you know, about once every five or six years, I hear stories about the gray wolves, about whether or not uh, they're, they're expanding in population, whether they should be hunted, uh, whether or not they, they should be protected. Where do we stand on that right now? Well, I would say where we stand is that we have a hunting season for gray wolves. Um, it's been uh, not a whole lot of gray wolves are killed during that season, but a few are. And uh, I consider, I'd probably, probably get in trouble for this, but I consider the gray wolf restoration one of the great success stories of the Endangered Species Act and of wildlife recoveries and, in general. And you consider that because? Um, the wolves are on the landscape. Uh, they are they are doing what wolves do, which is preying on elk and other uh, big game animals. There's not too many wolves. They're not uh, they're not on the brink of extinction again. Um, they've been returned successfully through a lot of hard work by people, um, and uh, it just it we have a few wolves around here, and um, every once in a while they cause trouble, but not not recently. I suppose the elk lobby is not too happy. <laughs> Some of the elk lobby is not too happy. Um, and there are places where wolves have definitely reduced elk numbers, and with those reductions, uh, a, a reduction in hunter uh, success rates for sure. Um, down near really? where you are in the yeah. Bitterroot, uh, I used to hunt. Aren't you in the Bitterroot right now? Oh, yeah. I used to hunt that right west of where you are quite a bit. And um, when the wolves first came in, the elk numbers in that area, and especially the elk behaviors, changed quite a bit. Um, and it was a lot harder to get a bull elk down there uh, or a cow for a while. Numbers are ch coming back in some places. Uh, numbers overall of elk are, are up as high as they need to be. But in certain places, they've been reduced by, by the gray wolf for sure. Now, one of the issues that, that we've seen happen in North Dakota recently and now in Montana, in the rush for oil and gas... What's happening to the public lands? Well, we need a lot better sideboards on the cart of energy development. Um, energy development has been a great boon. B-O-O-N, it's, it's a positive. And in order for it to be a positive in our future, we need to have some uh, better reclamation. We need to have some better, uh, we need directional drilling so that we have less pads on the landscape. Less roads needed. Um, we've got impacts to mule deer and pronghorn for sure. And we could lessen those impacts with guided and, and well-planned development. Now, Hal, here's a question I've never asked anybody, but I'm going to ask you, and I know you have an answer for this. Question I'll do is, my best. Why do better refrigerators mean bigger deer? Because appliance efficiency standards in the United States of America we're very, very good on paper, but from the Clinton administration through, but they never really put them into place. And the less kilowatts you burn, the less natural gas you got to put into the furnace that generates the electricity, the less coal you got to put in there, and the less land you, you are compelled to develop. Uh, we once described it as every, every inefficiency in your boiler or your home water heater equals one place where you're not going to get to hunt sharp tail grouse. Hello, uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. 
my next guest wears many hats. Uh, former University of Washington football player, Rose Bowl winner, which is rubbing it in my face with that because of Wisconsin, but we'll get to that later. Uh, singer, lecturer, writer, and born in Montana, Jack Gladstone. Welcome. Hey, Peter. Hi. And you got the voice for it, too. I love it. <laughs> now, you played what for the University of, of I almost said Wisconsin, Washington? Uh, uh, UW, both of us. That's so right. we're, we're kin. We're good. We're, we're kin. good. Yeah. Okay, I was the offensive uh, guard uh, at the University of Washington. And you won the Rose Bowl in 78 against one of our arch rivals, Michigan. So, yeah, Michigan. So you we, can sit there. I'm going to allow you to sit there now. <laughs> it was a big upset. It was uh, If Michigan had won, they would have been national champions. We stumbled in somehow on a 6-4 and four record, and we ended up pulling out the upset, and the biggest upset in Rose Bowl history back then. Warren Moon was the most notable player we had on our Who team. Who ended up playing for, what, Houston? CFL and NFL yeah. Hall of Fame, both yeah. of those. Absolutely. So born and, born and raised in Montana, where? Actually, up in the St. Mary's Valley is where both my uh, dad and my grandmother were born and raised. My father's Blackfeet Indian. My mother's German-American from North Dakota. They met actually in— on the, Did they meet on the reservation? No. No, they met actually after World War II. My dad served as a combat veteran in uh, Seattle. Uh, in Seattle, in uh, uh, the Pacific Theater. And after the war, uh, my mo- mother and father met out in uh, C- uh, Seattle, Washington. Wow. And here we are in Derby. Mm, indeed. So, but you're also a singer. Yep. That's, uh, I, I guess I was singing before I could talk, and I grew up uh, singing. It was gr- music that I gravitated to uh, when I started to think. It was somewhere in my third year at college uh, where I started to write songs and to um Implement uh, s- storytelling uh, with lyric poetry. Lyric poetry. But storytelling is so much part of the Indian heritage as well. It is. It is, and mine is converted into uh, uh, into song. And songs that made you want to come back home to Montana. Indeed, indeed. And uh, history, uh, mythology, legend, lore. Not not a lot of personal stuff, but stuff that illustrates the landscape. You know, uh, our since Lewis and Clark were here a little bit over 200 years ago, uh, really the American experience is only the tip of the tip of the iceberg for our indigenous peoples. It goes back there tens of thousands of years. Yeah, we're just recent visitors. Indeed. And what keeps you in Montana? It's home. You know, that can't say much more than that. But it is in Glacier National Park for the past 30 years. I'll start 31 years at the end of June of this year. I co-founded Native America Speaks, the longest continuously running indigenous speaker program in national park history. And what we do in Glacier Park, both the Blackfeet and the Salish people of this side of the mountains, of the western side of the mountains, illustrate the cultural relationship and the depth of uh, ecological and cultural knowledge of our uh, landscape uh, uh, stories. It all comes down to stories and it all comes down to how is the heart interlaced with place. And if you don't put that in proper perspective, people just think it's, oh, it's the West and that's it. They think it's just cowboys and Indians. No. No, not even close. Yeah, cowboys and Indians didn't last all that long. And actually, there's a heck of a lot of excellent Indian cowboys nowadays, <laughs> including a lot of uh, a lot of uh, men in my family and stuff. But it was uh, uh, there's a there's a lot there, and I just I brush on it with my um, lyric writing. Let's get right to it. What do you got for us today? Okay, this is called uh, The Bear Who Stole the Chinook. This is an ancient story about what we call a hero's journey, in which a young orphan boy and four of his animal elders get on the. Uh, uh, get on the trail of a bear that somehow stole the power of the warm west wind. We call this wind the Chinook wind in this country. Uh, so, 
Everybody give me a growl out there. Okay, I'm ready. The snow came early and lay on deep. The cold blown bitter made the women weep. Our men tracked hard, we could find no came. In our children's bellies were crying pains. Our elders gathered in the heathen dawn. They prayed and waited and looked. A little did they know that way up high, the bear had stole the Chinook. Everybody sing. The bear had stole the Chinook. Don't make me do it. <laughs> A ragged orphan boy living alone. Called to the animals in his home. Howling magpie flew on in. The coyote and weasel, there was four of them. As her council met, the magpie caught as her hero shivered and shook. He said, My relatives told me so. He said, The bear has stole the Chinook. The bear has stole the Chinook. I'm the bear who stole the Chinook. <laughs> I'm the bear who stole the Chinook. <laughs> Give me your best growl. We'll be back right after this. Ranch, if you're just joining us, an amazing location. I mean, talk about where it's located. I mean, National Forest, the, 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 the Montana Rockies, if you will. You want to know about Lewis and Clark? Hey, start right here. Uh, it's the whole full length of the Bitterroot Valley uh, and a lot of history here. Indians and the building of America, the building of the American West. Uh, and what a great place to learn from it because you hub there and go all over the place. Most people don't realize Montana has the largest migratory elk herd in the nation. And then my favorite animal, the moose, now numbering over 8,000 in Montana, uh, once thought to be extinct, but uh, no, they're not extinct. And, and let me tell you, I, I came up close and personal with a moose in, uh, in, in Yellowstone on a snowmobile. And uh, I come from the school, well, let's put this in the, in the proper tense. I came from the school of Rocky and Bullwinkle, thinking that, oh, yeah, it's just a slow moose. And I saw him way in the distance, and sort of sadly, he saw me, too. And, uh, and as I was moving on my snowmobile, which I thought could outrun a speeding bullet, um, he started cornering me and, and, and closing in on me. And no matter how fast I was going on the snowmobile, he was going to intersect with me. And at the last minute, all I could do was take my snowmobile and aim right into a snowbank and bury myself in the snowbank and hope that somebody traveling behind me on the same path would see it, which they did, and they came out and dug me out. But I could hear that moose snorting. I could hear that moose coming over there and just looking at him and see about where he could find me. I have newfound respect for the speed of the moose. Uh, imagine a freight train that finally gets up to speed and goes about 90 miles an hour. That's, that's the moose. Uh, a big surprise there. Uh, joining me now is... Uh, uh, speaking of uh, learning about nature, is a guy who came from the Big Ten, a Northwestern graduate, 
who finally finds himself out here in Montana. And what is he doing? He's a smoke jumper. Now, many of you know I'm a volunteer fireman in New York, out on Long Island. I've been one since I'm 18. Uh, it's a different kind of firefighting than what these guys do. Dan Cottrell is his name. And you've been doing this how long, Dan? Uh, this year will be my 15th season uh, as a smoke jumper, about five years prior to that, doing other sorts of wildland fire. And by the way, when I come to, to, to Montana and land at the nearest airport here, which is Missoula, I see those planes on the ground, those those special fire, you know, fire drop planes. Those are some pretty old planes. They are. Yeah, they are. I mean, you really hope they were built really well because they're under some serious stress. Yeah, that's true. And actually, uh, just over the last several years, we've been upgrading that fleet. Um, well, you had no choice. Well, the, originally, they were yeah. a lot of uh, World War II era you know, submarine chasers and As bombers. I said, yeah. World War II, come on. Built in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. Um, and now they're moving to uh, jet engine aircraft, um, you know, babes, if you will, that were built in the 80s and 90s. Exactly. Now, you know, uh, in California right now, we have a severe drought. Uh, a lot of worries even now about what the summer is going to bring. You have a big fire threat here in Montana all the time. Uh, what kind of winter have you had? It's been a pretty mild winter, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been uh, definitely not as bad. You know, I heard some areas of California are at 6% of their normal snowpack. It's so, terrible. Yeah. So they're in a really bad situation. Yeah. Uh, we're not nearly that bad off. I think we were around 60% this winter. Uh, but but definitely, you know, warmer and drier than, than we're used to seeing in the wintertime. Yeah. Now, the Missoula base here is the largest fire-jumping base in the nation, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah, there's uh, there's nine jumper bases around the western U.S. Uh, Missoula's the biggest. Uh, Boise McCall also have fairly large. Now, when we say smoke jumper, I mean, I know about what it, go- what it means to go into a fire, to go into a structural uh, a building, you know, a structural fire where, you, where lives may be at stake. You're dealing with huge geography here. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, typically we're uh, jumping into remote areas, um, hoping to catch you know new new wildfires small, uh, but we do also get involved in a lot of larger scale uh, fires like the ones you're talking about that are you know tens of thousands of acres. Now, way back in 1977, when I was working for Newsweek, there was a terrible fire out in Northern California in Monterey called the Battle of Marble Cone, and I was there to cover the fire for Newsweek. But because I was a fireman, they let me go in with the guys. And, you know, I came in there with that swagger. Oh, I'm a, I'm a fireman, you know. Yeah, well, I am a fireman, but I hadn't been tra- – I really wasn't trained the way you guys are trained for that particular kind of fire. And here's what they gave me. You're going to laugh when you – but you know what they gave me? They gave me a shovel. They gave me the Nomex blanket, right, and a backpack. That was what I got, right? Yeah, yeah. And then off we go, and guess what happened? I'm out there, and I got caught in the crossfire. They both fires moving at about a mile and a half to two miles an hour, moving that fast. And you know how fast it can move. I had to dig a hole. I was one of those, and I'm like, I don't believe they're making, I had no choice. And the problem with digging the hole, and the fire comes over you, right? But there's nobody to tell you when you lift up the blanket. <laughs> you definitely don't want to lift it up too soon. No, you lift up the fire too soon. You're done. You are so done. And I have to tell you the end of the story. I I finally wait. I, I didn't move. I, I was waiting to hear other voices to say, okay, you know, let the idiot guy from Newsweek lift up the blanket. So I did, went back to the camp, finished doing my story, got back in my car, drove to the Monterey airport, and as I got on the plane, everybody was looking at me so strangely. I had looked in a mirror. I was, my entire face, what, what was it? Black. Oh, yeah, dirty. Oh, yeah. my God. I, I mean, it was like, where did this guy come from? But, I mean, I have newfound respect and long-standing respect for what you guys do, because I went out there and did it, and I really should not have done it. 
Yeah, you know, a lot, uh, you know, the, the equipment's changed a little bit, but, you know, as you're saying, it's it's definitely um, more of a marathon. I mean, you know, these fires are often long duration, so it's uh, it's a long process. It takes a lot of teamwork and a lot of moving parts to sort of work together um, to put these fires out. You know, sometimes it takes several weeks. It's, it's definitely a different sort of mentality than rushing into a burning building, you know, and, and, and being done with that particular structure fire in, you know, an hour or two. I mean, the, the longest fire we fought back in New York was about 22 hours, right? That's about it, right? You could be doing 22 days. Yeah, yeah, that, that definitely happens. And, uh, you know, some of these longer duration fires sometimes go for months. Dan Cottrell, who's the smoke jumper squad leader. I love that. After 15 years, I can imagine. And you know what? My hat is off to you, man. Can people come out and watch you guys train? Yeah, that, that's a really good point. We, we do have a visitor center. We're open from Memorial Day to Labor Day. Uh, we, we average about 30,000 visitors in a season, and it's a really great opportunity. It's free of charge. Uh, we take you right into the working uh, facility of the Smoke Jumper Base. You get to see the aircraft. I totally It's a lot of fun. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.